So my first lesson this morning is, when you're going downstairs, make sure you don't fall down. <laughs> That's what happened to me last uh, yesterday morning. So I'm, I'm going to try and stand, and, uh, but the stool's there uh, for that Valdunican moment, maybe. Let's just pray as we begin. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of this day and for the gift of your word. There's a lot that we've just listened to. Help us, Lord, to understand it. And may, Lord, what it signifies become what we personally experience too. In Jesus' name, amen. A little story. George, a big game hunter, goes on safari in Kenya with his wife, Frances, and his mother-in-law, Agnes. One evening, while deep in the jungle, Frances awakes to find her mother, Agnes, has disappeared. Waking George, she insists on them both trying to find her mother. Sighing heavily, George picks up his rifle, and together they start searching for Agnes. Soon, in a clearing not far from camp, they come upon a frightening sight. Frances' mother, Agnes, is backed against a thick, thick, impenetrable bush, and in front of her is a large male lion. And Frances cries out in panic, George, what are we going to do? Nothing, explains George calmly. Absolutely nothing. The lion got himself into this mess and he's going to have to get himself out of it. <laughs> Mothers and mother-in-law can be formidable. As we celebrate our own uh, Mother's Day, uh, as well as their love and care, it's good to remember their determination and perseverance. Equality is very much in evidence at the moment with the women of Ukraine, uh, as mothers have had to leave everything behind and bring their families to safety. Over the past few weeks here at St. Mary's, we've been focusing on the big words of the Bible, righteousness. And let me recap what we've been learning together. Righteousness is all about being in right relationship with others. We conduct ourselves in our relationships with other living beings in a way which is pure and true and just. There are no lies told, no injustice inflicted, no duty ignored. We, must, we might ask, for example, on this Mothering Sunday, am I in a right relationship with my mother? Or if not, no longer with us, was I in a right relationship with my mother? And for some of us, there may well be a distance between us and our mothers, a sadness which we carry with us as a result. On the other hand, if there's a good relationship, then there's great joy, isn't there, in being in right relationship? All of which makes us think, how do we actually measure righteousness? What is the gold standard by which we can assess our relationship with our mothers and with everyone else? And that brings us to the Bible and Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He introduces us in chapter 1 to the righteousness of God, how our creator is himself perfectly righteous, how he conducts himself towards other living beings like you and me in a way that is pure and holy and just and true, how righteousness is not just something uh, that God does Occasionally, it's something that God is in and of himself. He is righteous. Our loving Heavenly Father is the benchmark 
when it comes to understanding this word, this big word, righteousness. It is part of his glory and one of the reasons we sing his praises. The Lord God Almighty is not, of the Bible is not some fickle Greek god or goddess, capricious, self-serving and unreliable. He always conducts himself in exactly the right and proper way towards us. And it's a wonderful thing. And in contrast to God, sadly, none of us comes up to the mark. There is no one righteous, we saw in chapter 3 of Romans. There is no one who does good all the time, every hour of every day. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And so we have to take on board the fact that we are unrighteous in God's eyes. Another little story. One day, a little girl noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to her dark brown hair. And she inquisitively asked her, why are some of your hairs white? Well, her mother replied with a twinkle in her eye, well, every time a daughter does something wrong, it turns one of their mother's hair's white. Well, the little girl thought for a moment and asked, is that why grandma's hairs are all white? (laughs) See, daughters, mothers, grandmothers, sons, fathers, and grandfathers, none of us is perfect. All of us, by the end of our lives, will have said and thought and done enough wrong things to turn all the hairs on our heads white a hundred times over. And as a result, none of us are in that right relationship with God. These are the the moral rags that we wear. And we feel it in our spirits. It makes us restless here and now. We search for peace in one thing after another in the world around us, but it never comes. So we move from one thing to the next. And when we die, like water and oil, we will find that we cannot occupy the same space as a righteous God. We will not be counted amongst the righteous in heaven. But as well as discovering that righteousness is something that God is, we've seen, and we saw last week, that righteousness is something that God gives. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, Paul, a righteousness from God is revealed. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, Romans chapter 3, verse 22. So we saw how Jesus sacrificed his life in order to pay our moral debts, how the sacrifice on the cross of the Son of God's one perfect righteous life can cover over every other human being's record of unrighteousness and restore them into that right relationship with God. And all we need to do, we're told, is receive what Jesus has done for us by faith, and our status before God will be changed forever. We will be declared righteous now and for all eternity. So the cross of Jesus is God's big solution to our big problem. It comes at great cost to God, but is offered freely to all of us. But for those from a Jewish background, all of this raised a big question. I thought, said the the person from a Jewish background, that we became righteous by doing righteous deeds. It's not something we receive as a gift, 
but it's something we have to earn. That the key to being righteous was obeying all the laws that God had given Moses, over 600 of them. And that what marked out Jews as being righteous were things like circumcision or eating certain foods or performing various sacrifices. And this whole idea of being made righteous simply through faith, well, to the Jewish person, it it just all sounded rather newfangled and, well, rather dodgy. And maybe you've asked yourself that question, that this gospel, this message, sounds almost too good to be true. You could walk into church this morning, not in right relationship with God, and simply by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, you can walk out of church righteous in God's sight. And surely we say, there must be more to it than that. And in chapter 4 of his letter to the Romans, Paul, the chosen messenger of Jesus, answers that question. This understanding that righteousness comes by faith has, he says, a big history. It isn't something new. It isn't just something that has been whipped up, but actually it has a long history over thousands of years. In fact, it goes right back to the beginning of the Bible, to Abraham, their forefather, the very first Jew. So have a look with me. On the back of your service sheets, you'll you'll find the passage uh, written there. Have a look at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And then verse 3, what does Scripture say? And then quoting the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 15, verse 6, we read, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham, who was given the title friend of God, didn't earn his righteousness. It came through faith, by believing. And if that's how it worked for Abraham... We shouldn't be at all surprised, says Paul, that that's how it works for everyone else. If we go back to Genesis chapter 15, and uh, we should really get our Bibles back in church so we can sort of, I could take you there, turn the page to it, but it'll come up on the screen in a moment. Um, We find God making a particular promise to Abraham. Though he and his wife Sarah were well on in years and childless, childless, He promises that they would have a child of their own that would lead over time to countless descendants. It would be a blessing to the whole world. We find God taking Abraham outside his tent one night and saying, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then God promises Abraham, as you look at those stars, so shall your offspring be. And it's when in response Abraham believes what God has promised, will indeed happen. Although, you know, given his age, he thought, could that happen normally? But we're told, as he believed God's promise, we're told it was credited to him as righteousness. That as far as God was concerned, they were now on good terms, in right relationship. They had become friends. There was nothing Abraham had to do. There were no rules he had to follow, no works he had to perform to earn this right standing before God. And Paul goes on to explain that the one command he was given by God, which we find in a couple of chapters later in in Genesis chapter 17, circumcision, 
it came later as a discreet and memorable way of reminding Abraham that this righteousness came to him by faith. Circumcision was never meant to be the means by which you made yourself righteous before God. Whether you're circumcised or not, what counts is, when it comes to righteousness before God, is your faith. If you have put your trust in God's promises, like Abraham, that's what God is looking for, and it's what makes you right in his eyes. So that, in summary, is what Romans chapter 4 is all about. And the particular promise that God makes to each of us today, we find at the end of the chapter, in verse 23. The words it was credited to him were not written for him only, we're told, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So that's the promise. Accept that Jesus died for your sins and lives now to bring you to God and you will be right with God. It'll be just as if you've never sinned. You will be God's friend. I think of an example for that. The community fridge here in Chesham works, I think, on the same basis. The community fridge promises to give any food they have away for free on a Wednesday and Saturday between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. Anyone can take up the promise, rich or poor, young or old, but if you want to benefit from this promise, then you have to believe it and act upon it and turn up on the right day at the right time. And week after week, that's exactly what people do. No doubt you've seen the queues in town. When I first arrived in uh, Cheshire, I thought, why are all these people queuing? And I discovered it was the community fridge. Now, when the fridge's uh, resources are, uh, they're limited, and when the food runs out, that's it. But when it comes to God's offer of righteousness, it is unlimited. Every human being can take advantage of it. Every one of us here. So as uh, someone said to me uh, after church last week, I think I'm getting the point about righteousness. It's something God gives and we receive. But I'm still not sure what difference this all makes to my life. And one or two others said the same thing. So to finish this series, let's draw together three implications. And uh, in our small group Bible studies, uh, we often divide our studies into three parts, thinking uh, with our heads, with our hearts, and then what we do with our hands. So the first implication I want to, to leave you with at the end of this little series has to do with our heads, with our thinking. Because you see, this particular passage has shown us the sort of faith that God wants from us. When somebody says, well, I believe in God, well, that's a good start, and that's maybe where you are currently. But actually, biblical faith is far more precise than that. Faith, Paul teaches here, involves taking the promises of God and putting your whole confidence in them. Because that's what Abraham does. He had to face the fact, if you look at verse 19, that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah, his wife's womb, was also dead. And yet, verse 20, we're told, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God that he and Sarah would have a child. 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And here's the key phrase, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. When I discovered these verses as a sort of on the cusp of becoming a Christian, I found them wonderfully helpful. Because you see, we don't need to wait for a particular experience before we believe. All we have to do is put our confidence in what God has promised. And he has promised when we trust in his son Jesus Christ, he will do that miracle of making us right with him. He will cover over all our unrighteousness, all our wrongdoings, all our sins, and we'll be washed clean in his sight. And that is a powerful thing. It affects our eternal destiny. And he says, if we trust in his promise, he'll do that for us. Well, that's the first implication here. Getting it clear in our heads what sort of faith God is looking for from us. Perhaps you've never seen it that way before. And this might be the key that you need to take, to take that step, to say to God right here, right now, I am persuaded that you have the power to do what you have promised. I'm going to act upon that promise for the first time, maybe, and live my life on the promises, this promise and all the promises you've given me, and to human beings like me. It's an exciting way forward. I can truly leave church here this morning cleansed and forgiven and right with God. Well, that brings us to our second implication. Our first implication concerns our thinking, our head. The second concerns our heart. And we find it if we cross over into the next chapter of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified or or made righteous, those are similar meaning words, through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we can now stand. So what difference does being right with God make to our lives? It brings, first and foremost, a deep peace into our hearts. It brings, well, it fills a void in our souls that nothing else can fill. And whatever else is going on around us, money worries, health worries, nations at war, to know in our hearts that we are on good terms with our creator, that our prayers are welcomed, that we will be welcomed one day when we die into glory. Well, that is a priceless, precious gift. It helps to centre our spirit. It gives us that inner calm that we are not on our own. We are at peace with the God who created the universe. And even death can be faced with confidence and courage. You see, righteousness through faith in Christ isn't some dry, tedious doctrine It is utterly, wonderfully transformative. Well, head, hearts, and finally, the third implication, our hands. Because perhaps you're still thinking, but I still want to know what God wants me to actually do day by day in my life. Well, the whole point is that it's not what we do for God, but that God has done for us. And yet there is something we can do. And we find it if we read on, Uh, In the rest of of chapter 5 and verse 2, I'll go back to the beginning of verse 1 again and just read it again for us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
And we boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if you want to do something, then brag, Paul says, about how great God is to your friends. Share with them the good news that whoever they are and whatever they've done, they can experience forgiveness and they can be right with God. Take the time to rejoice with other believers. Make it your chief goal to gather on the Lord's day to sing his praises. Show, in other words, your gratitude each and every day in the way that you now live your life. Live a life that says thank you to God. What you could never do for yourself, God has done for you. Well, to conclude, righteous is something God is and we are not. And righteousness is something God gives and we receive. It's not a new idea. It goes right back to the beginning of the Bible to Abraham. Righteousness is a big word with a big history. And it helps us think clearly about what faith is. It should warm our hearts and shape the way we live our lives. That We now live a way that says thank you. And we enjoy being right with God and living out that, that right relationship day by day. But you see, Paul has only just got going. He hasn't taught the Romans yet about the Holy Spirit and how he can transform us and make us more like Jesus. And that's coming in the next section of Romans in chapters 5 to 8, to which, God willing, we'll return in a couple of months. But let's just take a moment as we finish this series just to let sink in what we've learned so far and let it sink into our minds and our hearts and also into how we live day by day. Let's just soak it in for a moment before we move on in our service. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that for time and all eternity, we can be right with you through faith in Jesus Christ. May, Lord God, we all have that faith and trust in him this day. Thank you that as we trust in him, we can walk out of church this morning, reminded and refreshed that we are forgiven and right in your sight. What a wonderful privilege that is. What a peace it gives to our hearts. Help us to rejoice and share this wonderful good news with others. May we boast of you and never of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.